And I'll ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we'll also look at John 3 in just a little while, if you'd like to find your place there now. Also, Matthew chapter 1, as well as John 3. A fairly significant event took place in December 1903, 119 years ago, that has affected all of our lives. It's affected the world in phenomenal ways, in both times of peace as well as times of war. It's affected transportation across the globe ever since this event took place, actually here in North Carolina, 119 years ago. Anyone have an idea of what event that would be? The Wright Brothers, I saw some of you mouthing it. The Wright Brothers flew as they called it their flying machine, got it off the ground and flew or glided or soared or I don't know how they may have thought of it back then 120 feet and wouldn't you agree that that event has changed the world in a lot of ways if it weren't for airplanes you probably wouldn't enjoy free two-day shipping from Amazon it's certainly affected warfare, hasn't it, ever since the invention of the flying machine? It was a pretty significant event. And after they succeeded in getting their flying machine off the ground and soaring 120 feet before touching back down and not dying, they sent... A telegraph to their sister Catherine very excitedly. The telegraph message, of course, were usually pretty brief. And their telegraph message to their sister Catherine simply said, We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. In excitement, Catherine, of course, you know, there's not television. Nobody is there on that day when they made this attempt recording and shooting it across the world for us all to see. Catherine, with excitement, ran down to the local newspaper editor, and with excitement she handed him that slip of paper on which the telegraph message was scripted, and he looked at it, and you would think, especially as a newspaper man, exciting to have the story firsthand, the first one exclusive to his little country town newspaper. But he glanced at and read the message and said these words, How nice the boys will be home for Christmas. He completely missed the big news of the telegraph, wouldn't you say? completely missed that man had actually flown. He totally missed 
the big news. And I wonder if, like the editor of that paper, when he saw that message, we too will miss the big news. The main reason for the Christmas season, we're coming to the conclusion of it, aren't we? Today is Christmas Day. We've made it. It's here. And if you don't mind me saying, as often happens come Christmas morning, some of you look a little more tired than normal. And that's usually the way the Christmas season plays out, isn't it? With all the hustle and bustle, with all of the events of the season and even the day, with all the get-togethers and all the meals and all the parties and just all that we do, all of which is fine. But I wonder if in the hustle and bustle of the season and even the day, we miss the big news that this day is about Jesus. I get the sense that many of us in this room today need to be reminded of the wonder of this day and the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that Jesus brought with him. The gifts that he brought in the midst of our busyness, the distracted, hectic, chaotic lives, the best gifts that you and I can have this Christmas day are not gifts that you'll find wrapped under a tree. They are the gifts that are offered to us by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That peace, that joy, that love, that hope that can be ours even in the midst of the craziness. These gifts we have looked at, we have seen are at the heart of Christmas as we have journeyed through this Christmas season. But today, let's not miss the big news. As we have taken time to go and see the pretty lights, as we have taken time to get together with family and friends and loved ones, as we have taken time to buy and wrap and exchange gifts, and even as we think about the blessings of peace, joy, love, and hope, let's not get so focused on all of these that we miss the true big event, the big news that Jesus is the heart. Christmas is all about him. It's all for him. And so today, in order for us to fully embrace Christmas, let's turn our attention to him. How many of you still have plans for the rest of the day today? Somewhere to go, people to see, gifts to exchange, all of us. Can we pause for these moments and turn our attention completely to Jesus? Don't think about the food that's cooking at home. Don't think about the gifts that you may yet receive today. 
Don't, don't right now think about the loved ones that you're looking forward to spending time with. Let's, for these moments, put our attention completely on Jesus. We read Matthew chapter 1 for our Christmas Eve service last night and again this morning. And I want us to return there as I've already asked you to turn. We're going to look at the same passage of Scripture, but view it differently from what we did last night, this morning. Matthew's Gospel, if you begin in verse number 1 of chapter 1, starts with a genealogy of Jesus, spanning from Abraham to David, 14 generations, from David to the captivity of Israel, which was another 14 generations, and from the captivity to Jesus, which was another 14 generations. Pastor, is there something significant about the number 14? I have no idea. That's just the way it happened in God's plan. 42 generations are covered from Abraham to Jesus. And this genealogy is presented through the line of Joseph. Now that might cause us to pause because we think, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't Joseph's biological son. And that is very true. Jesus truly was virgin born, conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Ghost. But though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was Jesus' legal father. And Joseph, as we know from Luke chapter 2, was in whose line? David's. Matthew presents to us Jesus as the king, the ruler of all. And as he gives us the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Joseph, he is for Jesus to have the legal claim to the throne of David. Is that important? Go back to the Old Testament and read the Davidic Covenant, and you'll find out that it's very important. Joseph, at the time he learned of Mary's pregnancy, did not know or believe what was happening until an angel came and revealed it to him. But in doing so, the angel revealed the name to be given to Mary's baby, along with the reason he should be given that name. And what is it? Jesus, why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Now let's not be confused or misunderstand. There were actually many people during the Bible times with the name Jesus. It was a fairly common name. In fact, if you go back and read the historical records of Josephus, you will find at least 12 different individuals that he records in his history who had the name Jesus. But this Jesus is set apart. The name literally means Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. And the angel declared to Joseph, he will have that name because this child, the virgin-born child, this child that will bear a name that is above every name will save his people from their sins. This reveals that God sent Jesus to earth knowing 
that it would cost Jesus his life. Now, I want you to think about this today. As I have over the course of this week, this thought blows my mind. If God sent Jesus to save his people from their sins, if God sent Jesus to this world knowing that it would cost Jesus his life, then think about this reality that God sees me and he sees you as worthy of the sacrifice of his son. Does that blow your mind? Now we don't mean worthy in the sense of that we've earned it in some way. But worthy in the sense that he loves us that much and wants a relationship with us. God is so concerned. He is so desirous to have a relationship with you and a relationship with me that he looked on me and he looked on you and he said, he thought, it was in his heart, you in your brokenness, you in your sin, you who have turned and walked away from me, who have rejected me, I love you so much, I desire a relationship with you so much that you are worthy of the life of my son. And if that does not grip your heart and mind this Christmas morning, I really don't know what would. To show his love and establish relationship with us would take no less than the death of his son and that means that God looked on me knowing who and what I am and decided that I was worth the life of his son the same is true for each one of you here today each one of you watching by way of the webcast God decided you were worth the life of his son. And beyond that, it wasn't just in the sending of Jesus, but Jesus had to respond, didn't he? Jesus had to submit. He had to be willing. He had to love. Paul wrote of Jesus that he was the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Could you imagine today if in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, Jesus cried out to the Father and instead of saying, not my will... He said, Father, I'm not going to go through this. Hard for us to imagine because Jesus is the Son of God. And we know that he would obey his Father no matter what. But, just for sake of understanding and contemplating today how amazing this is, could you imagine if Jesus 
as he had the right to do, would have called those legions of angels. The same host that sang on the night of his birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. If Jesus could have called those angels who were at the ready, they were armed and prepared as he was hanging on the cross, could have said, you know what? It's finished. Not the way that he did. If he had said, it's finished, I'm done. Get me off this cross. Angels, come. Destroy them all. Don't you agree that that's what we were worthy of? That's what we had earned. But Jesus didn't do that. In submission to his Father, he willingly and lovingly came to the cradle and went to the cross. So often on during the Christmas season, we think of that baby in the manger, and that is why we celebrate the incarnation. God with us is an amazing truth. But friends, don't forget that even as that infant laid in the manger that was his cradle, the cross shadowed over him. He arrived in a cradle, but he accepted the cross. He came and, and was laid in that manger, but he was also laid upon a cross where he was nailed there for us. And that makes Jesus the heart of Christmas. How does the scripture show Jesus is the heart of Christmas from Matthew chapter 1, let me share these truths with you. Number one is this, Jesus reveals the heart of God for man. As Matthew shares this genealogy, he focuses on Jesus as the long-awaited fulfillment of God's promise. That's why the angel, in speaking to Joseph and Matthew for our understanding, records for us that Jesus would come. He would save his people from their sin. But he was the long-awaited fulfillment of the promise found in Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And it took an angel speaking to Joseph in a dream to convince him that Mary's pregnancy was not a reason to call off their wedding, Rather, her pregnancy was something that was divine and would change the world forever for two very important reasons. Number one, because as we've said, Jesus would come to save people from their sin. What do we tend to make Christmas about? The decorations, the gifts, giving and isn't that true in the world i mean you've been seeing it for what four or five months in the stores and in advertisements how many commercials have you seen that have presented to you this idea come shop here and you will find the perfect gift for that special someone have you seen those commercials you, you get the idea that, man, I could shop 
about anywhere and find the perfect gift for anybody on my list. And that's what we tend to make Christmas all about. But its true meaning falls squarely on God's dealing with our greatest problem. Do you realize that? That's really what Christmas is all about. It's God saying, here, here is the solution to your greatest problem. We don't want to focus on our problems during Christmas time, do we? We want all of the hoopla to help us to forget our problems. To put it away for a while, to put it behind us. But that's not really what Christmas is about. Christmas is God confronting us head on with our greatest problem, but because he had and has the solution. Sin is any way that we miss the intention God had for the world when he created it. It's any action, word, or thought we do or say or think that falls short of his standard and his perfect holiness. Greed, gossip, unfaithfulness, hatred, racism, and we go on all fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been subject to sin's evil influence and have felt the effects of sin's rule and reign because so often sin rules and reigns in our hearts. But God's compassion moved him to send Jesus to the world to rescue us. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Notice this, Jesus came so that God could be with us. And we've focused on this so much, haven't we? He declares in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I want you to think about how revolutionary that was at the time of his birth. Then and even now, many of the religions of the world had this belief, this philosophy, that the gods are angry beings who need to be appeased. They're distant from us. They're separate from us. And if we want any sort of blessing, if we want any sort of help, if we want any sort of assistance from that higher being or higher power, we need to do all we can to appease them, to earn their attention in any way. What does the Christmas story declare? That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the true God, the creator God, came to earth he became one of us because he wanted to be near to us god so loved his broken creation he desired to draw near he desired to become one of us to become flesh and blood to mourn when we mourn to hurt when we hurt to weep when we weep god did that so he could identify with us and give us the opportunity to identify with him you see we needed jesus we need jesus and someone once said it this way if our greatest need had been information god would have sent us an educator if our greatest need had been technology god would have sent 
us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. So often we get caught up in our lives thinking, well, if only I had this and only I had that. But the truth is the greatest need that you've ever had has already been provided in his name is Jesus. A Savior is going to eliminate any barrier between us and God. A Savior welcomes us into a safe place alongside God is spoken of in the Word of God in a passage we don't think of as a Christmas passage, but yet one we're very familiar with. And it gives us a new perspective on what happened that night in Bethlehem. What does John three sixteen declare? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because of his great love for us, God sent Jesus. But we often forget that Jesus agreed to come. He agreed. He submitted to to God's plan. He came. He so clearly lived with an unwavering commitment to the purpose God gave him. In other places, Jesus would even say, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come to do the Father's will and to finish his work. His whole life, Jesus was focused on, pointed to the cross. Yes, Jesus reveals the heart of God for man. But notice, secondly, Jesus left his home to show us the way home. Have you ever gotten lost? Anybody? When you're driving or even walking somewhere? You gotten lost? And I can think of some times in my life where I've been lost. I, my parents might have to tell you, I, I don't honestly remember ever as a child being one of those four or five or six-year-old children who wandered off and was lost and they were traumatized looking all over for me. I don't remember ever that happening with me. It's happened a couple of times with my own children. Stephanie and I learned very quickly the jump from two kids to three kids is just some kind of a jump. And we've loved it so much, we're adding four and five, you know, so. But I remember that after, who's our third? Michael. (laughs) After Michael was born, there were just some things that happened that made us think, can we really have three kids? You know, it's no longer, hey, I've got Eva, you've got Brooklyn, it's, we've got these two and one more, you know. It it wasn't a two and no more mentality for us, it was we've added one more. 
And I remember one day, Stephanie was in the house, and as far as I knew, all three of our children were in the house with her until Brooklyn came out on the back patio where I was working on a project, a wood project of some kind. I don't remember what, but it was a wood project. And she was literally right next to me. And of course, remember, at this time, Brooklyn's about, how old was she then? She was about three, three and a half. And she was right next to me. 30 seconds later, Stephanie walks out of the house and says, where's Brooklyn? I said, well, she's right here. And I looked, and Brooklyn was not right there. And this was back when we lived on old Wilson Road. And many of you had been to that house and know kind of how that road was, that curve that came around, and people had accidents there all the time. It was horrible. I looked, and Brooklyn wasn't there. And I started to panic. It was a big property when we lived there, and I'm looking around the yard, and I'm yelling for her, and suddenly I heard Brooklyn's voice as if in the distance. And I came around the side of the house. We'd been in the back of the house. Came around the side of the house, and I looked that way, and Brooklyn had crossed Old Wilson Road at that curve, went to the house over there, and was swinging on those people's swing sets. And I started yelling, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. And doesn't Brooklyn, her little three-year-old legs, jump off the swing and start running back toward me? And I'm like, no, don't cross the road. I was a little panicked. As a college student flying home one summer after I had been on uh, Truth Alive, typically, uh, often, when my dad would buy tickets for me to return home, we would go to... Milwaukee Airport or Chicago O'Hare Airport, but the, the college took care of buying that ticket since I'd been out serving over the course of the summer, and instead of Milwaukee or Chicago O'Hare, they bought me a ticket to fly into Midway Chicago Airport. If that doesn't mean anything to you, you hear about how bad Chicago is in the news. Midway is on the bad side of town. It's not the part of Chicago that you want to frequent, let alone visit. Well, my mom and dad came to pick me up, and I remember my mom was driving, and as we were leaving Midway Airport, I don't even remember what we were using for directions. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. I don't know if dad had printed off MapQuest directions or something, but I'll say we, I won't say who, we took a wrong turn. And we ended up in this back alley in downtown Chicago where you do not want to be. We were a little lost. And someone, the person who was driving, started to come to a stop in the middle of this alley so we could figure out, and the others in the car both yelled, no, keep driving, don't stop. You don't want to stop here. You know what it is to be lost. I want you to think of it in just a life sense. For many, this Christmas season, people are living lives of no direction. Carelessly making decisions that put them in danger and keep them far from God. And I wonder if that's true of anyone here today. Even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be guilty of that, can't we? Just going on with no direction, 
making decisions with seemingly no thought for where we're headed and where it's going to take us. But Christmas is God's way of leading us by His grace to Himself. Through Jesus, He provides for us to come to Him, or if need be, to come back to Him. You see, friends, the Christmas truth is this. We don't have to live lives that are lost and broken because God in His great love for us made a way. John tells us that the key to finding our way back home is belief in Christ. When we believe in him, he saves us from perishing or being lost forever, and we're given new life for eternity, but also new life for the here and now. The Greek word used in John 3.16 is the word pistuo, translated believeth, and it means to persuaded by someone or to have confidence in something it's not just an intellectual exercise it's not well i i i have this knowledge i i've read this and i know that that's what it says but it is a personal belief in christ so persuaded and so confident that he is our savior that he begins to transform our lives our words, our actions, our thoughts uh, begin to be directed by Him, begin to be directed by our faith, our hope, and our trust in Him. It's the work of God's Spirit in us, doing something in us and for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And this is why Jesus came to rescue us. He did the work. We're just invited to believe and accept the gift. Why did Jesus leave the glories of heaven? To come to the brokenness of this world. He did so to show us the way home. Maybe you are away from him today. This Christmas season, can you be invited by the Spirit of God to come home. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to believe on Him. If you do, but you've wandered away, to return to Him. To be restored to fellowship. He left His home to show us the way home. Thirdly and finally, belief in Christ allows us to live today as well as for eternity. At the heart of Christmas is Jesus' invitation to join him and experience the full life that's available through him. John tells us that the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep that we might have life. And not just that eternal life, but life that is more abundant here and now. How can we live an abundant life in the midst of such a broken world through Jesus Christ and in truth Jesus living in and through us the mission that Jesus started began thousands of years 
go in that small village of Bethlehem, but it continues to this very day. All of the gifts that you could possibly give or receive in the coming days, by far, this is the most valuable because it is through Jesus that you can be saved. An author who was writing about the rescue plan unleashed through the Christmas story used military language to capture the sense well. He wrote this, In my mind's eye on Christmas Eve, I see a single commando tumbling out of the Bombay doors of a B-52 at 30,000 feet. He falls silently in the midnight darkness into enemy territory. Satan sleeps, not knowing that he, Jesus, will organize a rebellion. The empire of sin will fall, not from without, but from within. Like a commando severely hurt as he landed after falling from far above, who has no apparent capacity to mount an effective action, or for that matter, any action at all, the powerless infant turns his face to ours and makes what, in that obscure stable, seems like a crazy, impossible demand. Join me. You see, that baby that we picture as an infant as well we should, because he was. That, that we picture is that, what is the nativity scene often portrayed as? Silent night. I doubt it. She had just had a baby. There wasn't any silence in that stable. She and Joseph probably endured some sleepless nights as you did when you had your children. And yet, on that not-so-silent night, that baby lying in a manger, snuggling with his mother and earthly father, was none other than God robed in human flesh. Come so that you and I could have lives of purpose today and have the hope for eternity forever. And that call, join me, is the call today. Will you join Jesus in his work in the world of rescuing all creation? Will you trust him with your life? And he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, in the form of a vulnerable baby to begin a powerful movement of salvation and transformation that is still continuing today. What began in an unassuming cradle led tragically to a Roman cross, but it ended victoriously in an empty tomb. Today, here in this auditorium, watching by way of the internet, if you have never believed on Christ, what a wonderful day, this Christmas day, 
to place your faith and trust in Christ for salvation. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, how will you respond to him this Christmas day? Let me challenge you to dedicate the life he has given you to following and sharing Jesus. How easy it is to picture Jesus as that baby, God come in the flesh to be with us. Praise God that he is. To think about the truth that he came to save us, but can I remind you that the same Jesus who was God come in the flesh, who gave his life so that you and I could have new life, also commanded us with these words, follow me. Live as I lived. Do my work in the world. Would you dedicate your life to following and sharing Jesus? And if you can't accept that invitation because you've never trusted him, receive the gift of salvation by trusting in the love of God demonstrated in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? As we begin, I want to issue an invitation to those of you who may not know Jesus as Savior, whether here in this auditorium or watching or listening online. If you've never been saved. If you have never. Personally. Called out in faith. Recognizing that you're a sinner condemned in your sin before God. But believing that God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin at Calvary. And that through faith in him, his death, his resurrection for you, you can be saved. I invite you to do that today. You could, you could call out to God in faith simply with words like this. Lord Jesus, for too long I have wandered lost in my life. I know that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I ignore your invitation to join you. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I trust Jesus as my Savior. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe on you. Whether with words like that or the words of your own heart, if you cry out in faith today, the Bible declares, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.